Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. And my three guests have all been tested and are COVID-free and fit to play this week. So to talk about COVID, testing, postponements and a little bit of football, my three guests are amateur astronomer Paul Denby. Hi, Paul. Good evening. Amateur cyclist and squash player Spencer Debson. Hi, Spencer. Hi there. And amateur marathon runner Edward Timpson. Hi, Edward. Happy COVID Christmas, Nigel. <laughs> how, many, how many marathons have you done, Edward, actually? I know you've done a few. Oh, I think we're up to 15 or 16 or something like that. Amazing. Brilliant. Um, listen, let, let's talk COVID um, and Everton in particular. Uh, we knew that Gabriel Jesus and Kyle Walker plus a couple of backroom staff had tested positive. Uh, and then a few hours, I think it was only five hours before the game at Goodison, a few more again, I think three people tested positive again, and the Premier League postponed the fixture. But Everton and their fans and other fans around the world are not happy about City's lack of communication and maybe lack of transparency. And, and are City at fault in any way here, as far as you can see? I know we don't have all the facts in front of us, but it, there has been a bit of a, a reaction here. So, so, Stato, do you want to kick off with this? What, what's your spin on this? City maybe not as transparent or as communicative as they could have been? Is that how you see it? No, but maybe my I've got my blue tinted glasses on. But from what I understand, the protocol is such that they get tested on the day of a game. Uh, and they were tested in the morning. Uh, I, I don't know the exact timing of it, but this is what we're hearing. And therefore, they only identified the fact there were several positive results that came out, I don't know, at the exact timing, lunchtime, early afternoon, whatever it was, had to go through the protocols of contact in the Premier League, etc., before they could then communicate that the game had officially been postponed. I'm not sure they did anything wrong. I don't think they did. But it's other fans are clearly going to be upset about it and, some people want the match awarded to Everton 3-0 and the Chelsea game next weekend, which we're probably not going to play 3-0, and give it to Stratford in the League Cup semi-final as well. So we might as well just give up now. Uh, I don't think they broke any rules, but I'm not an expert. Uh, and Edward, there seems to be a slightly different reaction for the sort of the Villa-Newcastle game. I think if you, if you just read the two uh, on social media, some people kind of posted the two responses from the two teams where Everton were, were rather short and brief and, and didn't wish anybody well, whilst Villa were full of 
wishing all the players well and thanks for letting us know and it's fully understandable in this global pandemic. But there appears to be a huge difference between the postponement of the Villa-Newcastle game and the Everton City game. Do, do you have a view on why that is? Why, why such a big difference? Why such a reaction? Well, I think there's some parallels here with like when we first went into the original lockdown, everyone was uh, sort of pulling together and uh, trying to help each other out. It's like this: the Newcastle was the first time that a team had had a, a COVID-related reason that they couldn't fulfil their fixture. But by the time you get to the second lockdown or the second game that this happens, I think people start to lose some of that generosity. And also the context of this with Everton looking to, you know, and not that they're going to beat us 11-0, I, I would hope, but yeah, their chance to continue to go on a really a strong run at the top of the table. It's one of only two grounds where they can actually have fans in. So I think that just feeds into this sense that somehow they've lost an opportunity and that's, that's sort of boiled over onto, onto social media. But, I, you know, City haven't done anything wrong. Um, and it's the Premier League shout at the end of the day. And I think the backdrop here of today seeing the highest number of positive cases at any stage during the, the pandemic suggests that they're also thinking about, you know, the, the, the wider implications if the, if the game is to go ahead. But if, if City's players are going down uh, under... Uh, positive tests, then you know they have to look at whether they can fulfil that fixture. And clearly, the Premier League felt it was unsafe to do so. So, end of story, as far as I'm concerned. And Spencer, just for completeness, I suppose the argument could be: I think the rules say something like, if you've got 15 fit players, including a goalkeeper, then you should fulfil the fixture. I understand it does say there may well be special special circumstances, and each situation will be looked at on its own merits. But but I think that's what people are pointing to, isn't it? Saying, look, City with the size of their squad and with their youth team, surely they've got 15 players; they should play the game. Well, you know, look, I suppose there's a, there's a truth to that. But, I mean, we, we don't really have full detail here. We don't quite know exactly who has tested. It's rumoured to be another three, isn't it, including first-team players. Um, so, you know, if you're, all your defence is knocked out, it's a bit different to, you know, uh, another, another situation where you might have 15, you know, genuine first-team uh, squad players available. So we really don't have enough detail here. Uh, and I think we have to just have a bit of uh, good faith in the Premier League, uh, the, the decision. And it's all very difficult, isn't it? You know, I mean, things on the face of it are going to get worse before they get better. Um, and so I suppose there's a little bit of precedent here that the Premier League is operating uh, in a cautious manner. Um, and, you know, it's disruptive for City as much as it is for Everton. I mean, you know, with all the fixture congestion this is going to create. So, no, there's no winners here. It's, it's a judgment call, and I think it's a little bit harsh to criticise City for what's happened here. It's just, it's just, it's a situation that we're we're, we're faced with. Uh, and you're right, Stato. You said at the start, you know, we, we don't know the facts here. We're kind of reading between the lines. We're trying to sort of pick up the story ourselves and have, putting our own spin on it. But, but what's going to happen, in, in, in your view? I mean, just again, just from my own personal perspective, Edward made the point. You know, this is not getting, this is not going away. Uh, this is actually getting worse, and, and we hear stories in the in the press about hospitals, and, and we see the figures every day, the cases going up, and sadly, uh, the deaths going up as well. So this is not kind of far more important than football. I mean, from a personal point of view, I can't see anything other than, than football actually being stopped, because lower down in the lower leagues, there's far more games being called off as well. And I just... I just can't see it continuing. It would be difficult to construct an argument that says football has to continue. I mean, at some point in the next few weeks, surely, we're going to see another lockdown, aren't we, of football being stopped completely? Uh, difficult to say. I would be surprised if it wasn't stopped with the present situation with the number of people that unfortunately are 
becoming ill and unfortunately, as you said, the death rates are going higher again. It, footballers are not immune for it. Yes, they can put them into bubbles, but if City picked it up as rumour has it from a hotel in London when they went to play Arsenal, mm. uh, players are going to pick it up and more and more of them will do. And City are just the second club that's been hit in a significant way after Newcastle. You can't see that it wouldn't affect other clubs at some point over the next two, three, four weeks, especially with the amount of travelling they're doing at the moment with the number of games that they're playing. Uh, yeah, I, whether it gets to the point where they stop the Premier League as well, I'm not sure. They must have the uh, thought process in play. You know, I hope they have anyway to work out what they're going to do because if they do postpone, delay, whatever word we wish to use because of the lockdown, then the implications are the same as last season. Effectively, you call it off of, I don't know, make it up uh, figure two, two months, and then you manage to get back going again. Then you've got all the implications for the Euros in, in the summer, the same with the Champions League and the rest of it, and does it all just overflow again into next season? And that's going to be a mighty challenge, because at the end of next season, of course, you've still got the problem of the World Cup to fit in, which is in November 22. So it's going to, you know, life and death is more important than football. I know Bob Shankly might not like that saying, but it is, and therefore they've got to work it the best way that fits, suits everybody. But, but Edward, it might be difficult and it might be inconvenient and there might be fixture congestion, but surely uh, life and death is far more important than that, picking up the old Shankly expression. Surely there's got to be a sensible view that says, actually, we can't continue this. So at what point is that decision made? Well, I think the point we cross the Rubicon will be where we reach the stage that there's too many clubs which are unable to hold on to their their first team squad because of COVID, that the, the protocols just aren't working and containing the, the virus even within those bubbles. Um, they will do everything in their power, I'm sure, to try and keep the Premier League going. We know how much uh, sort of financial... Um, implications there are for not doing so, as well as the really good points made already about how it's going to impact on the rest of the season. Uh, you will remember in a previous podcast, Nigel, we spoke about the Carabao Cup or the Manchester City Cup as it is these days, and whether it was sensible to carry that through for this season. Uh, we are in the semi-finals again, fantastic, but it does raise questions as to whether it, it was sensible to try and have a completely full season with both the domestic cups running knowing that COVID could surge again at any stage. So um, it, it, it is reaching a point where it's going to be difficult to see how either the, the season is not going to have to be extended again uh, or they're going to have to completely rejig some of the way that they fulfil these fixtures. So it's unsatisfactory um, and it's, it's massively um, unfortunate because from a very selfish point of view, uh, City were just starting to show their true colours, I feel. So, so, Spencer, picking up on that and this fixture congestion, I mean, Astato will have these figures at hand, I know, but I think the Premier League City have got, what, 24 games left. We've potentially got seven games left in the Champions League, six in the FA Cup, two potentially in the Manchester City Cup. Um, it's, you know, it's <laughs> we're going to play in three different competitions between the 3rd and the 10th of January was what was, what was due to happen. I mean, it, it, something's got to give here, surely. Oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? Uh, because, you know, we've uh, passed go, collected our £200 or our 200 grand a week, as these players get, um, and we've started. So it's, it's always more difficult to 
maneuver a situation when you're in the middle of it and, un, and you know, unanticipated things happen. Uh, you know, we, we don't know what we don't know, as the saying goes, uh, as regards the rest of the season. But as you just said there, Nigel, you know, with all of those games, you know, it could be another 40 games uh, left to complete the season. Um, and uh, we can all do the math, can't we? You know, it's sort of two a week, even if there's no COVID interruption, almost. So it really is hard to see and uh, navigate through. And I mean, at the end of the day, we want we want uh, you know we want a good a good a good clean fight for the Premier League, don't we? And then, you know, one of the um, side effects of all of this, because uh, it has to be related, is that the Premier League could be a really fine race, couldn't it? With you know, lots of teams in. There's only six points between the top nine at this stage. So, as a footballing spectacle uh, for the uh, for the neutral, um, it could be a really good good rest of the season. So, obviously, you don't want it sort of spoilt by the um, these these interruptions. But it, it, it's hard to see how we can navigate through uh, to a smooth and, and fair. Uh, fair journey for all the Premier League teams and all the Cup teams between now now and the summer. It, it really is hard to see. Something something will have to give somewhere. Just it's, it's very hard to call it. All right. Well, let's let's talk about some football then. And thank you very much for your for your your thoughts on that. It is a difficult situation. Obviously, more will uh, will be uh, explained and come clear in the coming days and, and weeks. Let's let's talk about the two 0 against Newcastle. Um, very solid performance, very professional performance. Uh, another clean sheet. Um, Cancelo got man of the match from uh, a, a few people, and we'll come back to him in a second. But but maybe Edward, you can kick us off on this one. A, a very professional, solid performance, never really in any doubt, and City on a good run as a result of it. Yeah, well, Pat was clearly a lot happier um, at the end of the game. He has been uh, in some of the draws that we've had too many of those recently. I think that was reflected, as he said, on the tempo that the team were playing. Uh, it, it felt just much more direct and positive, um, but also, as you say, controlled. They, they, never really, they never really felt that they were um, being pulled in any direction by Newcastle. We really did dominate the game. We started from the back. And, you know, this has now become the, not, not necessarily the untold story of City's season, but perhaps hasn't had the, um, the credit that it's due from, from where we were um, over the last... Um, uh, season and a half, uh, potentially looking at uh, some of the disruption we've had in the back four. Uh, Cancelo, he's sort of doing what Danilo was meant to do when he came, uh, some versatility, um, and uh, he was, he was I mean, almost say a revelation in the Newcastle game because he just popped up everywhere. Um, and, and he looked like he, he was hungry, which is something that perhaps a few cities players this season haven't shown all the time. Still, still one or two worries with individual players. Bernardo still, I'm not quite sure. He feels, it looks like he's quite lost. I don't quite really know what to do with him. Uh, but the, the, the potential, the spark, if it reignites, I think could uh, get him back into a really positive force within the team. Uh, and uh, I think Torres as well. I mean, 20 million, absolute snip. Uh, a real bargain compared with some of the uh, outlays from some of our rivals, Chelsea in particular. Uh, you know, he's, he's a high-quality player, I think, with lots more to give. So, Overall, very strong performance, uh, and I think it's demonstrated that we've got this different style of play, which some players perhaps uh, aren't as hasn't grained into them as well it has with others. But with more coming into form, uh, I think there's a prospect if we can get games back and players back of us starting to move further up the league. So, Slater, how how do you see Edward very eloquently describe kind of this new way of, of, of playing? 
this new system playing from the back. How do you see it? What, what's changed? Because we're on a really good run at the moment, and, and particularly these clean sheets as well is, is significant. It's making a huge difference. Oh, of course it is. We, we've only lost two games, including all competitions. So we lost two Premier League games, but none, none elsewhere. So we've lost fewer games than any other Premier League team this season. And that includes uh, the Scousers. Uh, so what people, I think, City supporters are getting upset about is the style of football, because it's not the fluid, fast-paced football that we've been used to for the last two or three seasons. And quite a number of supporters, you, follow, you look at Twitter or whatever you, you might look at, or read the press as well, people are confused as to what City are doing. I think, I, well, I know I said a few, about six weeks ago, that I think Pep is preparing the team for the Champions League and is getting us used to the style that he wants to have with four at the back, two holding midfield players, and reduce the chance of other teams scoring. Now, we might not like the style of football, but to me, I can start to see that it is beginning to work. We've got the most clean sheets. We really, really are looking solid at the back. The only goal we've conceded recently was a deflected shot against West Brom, um, which happens in football. So I think Pep has changed his approach. A lot of people have said that Pep is not a great tactician. I think he's changed his tactics, and he's trying to get those tactics into City's play. And we might get frustrated that we uh, don't uh, play with the same fluidity as I said a moment ago. But we're still creating chances. In reality, we need to take those chances. And we would have buried Newcastle, but we say that every week, don't we? Mm -hmm. Uh, We had four or five very good chances against Newcastle, and really, we should have beaten four or five. No, we didn't. That's the problem, not scoring when we do create the chances. But I, for one, not totally happy with the style, but I'll live with it if it can deliver us trophies. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean, and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. We'll come on to some of the individual performances if we can, and, and, and Edward touched on a few, Spencer. But do you just want to pick up on Stacco's views about this style of play, setting us up for the Champions League, these two holding midfielders, uh, and that's really made the difference. Are you happy with that style of play, if we're keeping clean sheets and, and going on a bit of a run? Yeah, I, I am. I mean, we, we've, we've really um, shut the door, haven't we, in defence? And uh, as we said, you know, Cancelo looks really great. Central defence looked good. Stones hasn't made a mistake, has he, in his eight, nine games since he's come back? You know, he's got so many eyes on him. Uh, Ake looked very, very competent at left back. Um, and we all know, you know, successful teams are built from the back. Um, and uh, I think, you know, he seems to have Rodri and Gundogan every time, doesn't he? I noticed, you know, Gundogan was much more forward playing in the game against Newcastle. 
Um, and he's, he's, he has his critics, Gundogan, but you can't deny he's, a, he's, a, he's such a consistent uh, and high-quality performer, and I felt that he was pushing the play on. Uh, we had plenty of chances. Um, you know, we didn't take them. You know, we discussed that. Um, but I, I thought overall, um, absolutely, this is a, a winning formula, certainly as you go through the Champions League, and, and potentially a winning formula with a few tweaks in the Premier League as well. Do you want to pick up then uh, for me, Spencer, on some of the individual performances then? Uh, we've mentioned Cancelo. I just want to mention Cancelo again. I hope that Stephen Allwise, a view from the blue, is listening because he was very critical of him last week and sort of poo-pooed my suggestion that he's, uh, he's looking like a great prospect. He was not happy with Cancelo at all. But So we'll see how the weeks progress and we'll remind Stephen of that each week, I guess, uh, depending on how he does. Uh, but, but him aside, uh, Edward mentioned, I think, Bernardo Silva as well and, and Torres being a, a snip at 20 million. And anybody else you want to pick up on either of them or anybody else you want to pick out in particular? Spencer? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, Torres, you know, we've spoken well, and Pep really speaks very enthusiastically, doesn't he? I mean, he's, he's clearly a quality player, uh, no doubt. He's being asked to do a job a lot of the time, which he, he wasn't initially brought in to do. Um, he looks like he's got a great temperament. Uh, so really did like him. I agree with, I think it was Edward that said, Bernardo is looking, you know, really quite anonymous um, and sort of running all over the place to not really be that creative. I don't know what's happened with him. Um, Sterling, you know, the, the sort of competence and the sort of the world-class quality moment to set up uh, the first goal uh, that we're used to. Um, and yeah, Cancelo, as you said, really do like him. I suppose he was always brought in uh, to compete with Carl uh, Walker, and then uh, I suppose Carl Walker upped his game. And uh, you know, I think right back for Cancelo, uh, personally, I would have him as first choice now most weeks because I think he's really settled down into being a great cultured player, great temperament. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's coming together, and uh, I think it's a shame that you know game time has been interrupted because I think we were just just getting a really nice flow. Uh, and, I, and I do believe we, we, you know, we can get better and better from here. Can, Edward, can I just sort of mention one other player we haven't talked about? And people have been criticising Pep for not starting Foden and not playing Foden. Uh, you can't criticise him this week. He, he gave him, what, three very solid minutes at the end of the game and added time. So you've got to give Pep credit for those three minutes he gave Phil Foden. Surely you're going to hope you're going to come on here and, and say, well done, Pep. Good to see Foden on the pitch, yeah? Always good to see Foden on the pitch, even if it's just for three minutes. Um, I'm sure he's been training hard all week for those three minutes and, and made the most of them. And you know, I get the fact that he's not going to play him every game, and he wants to still go through the process of easing him in, using him in uh, particular, and to use him within the rotation system. But I, I do think we've reached a point where just building on the Bernardo uh, sort of dimension, that's a role where Foden could play, I think, a more productive role, uh, particularly against the, the, sort of the current form of both players, and give him a chance to, sh to show what we know he can do. And his, uh, his, if you look at his, his goals and uh, the chances he creates, you know, he's getting better and better. So we want to see more of him. I, the, the one, the one uh, point I would just want to add uh, is around Diaz, Laporte, Stones, the triumvirate, uh, not to forget Ake, of course, who can, can fill in at left-back, did uh, a valiant job against Newcastle. You know, Diaz, it's interesting to hear Stone say how much he's made a difference to his own game. Uh, and, you know, so looking at the most recent buys by the club, that's another one which I think is a big tick in the box. 
And when you think about how much we were lamenting the loss of Laporte last season, he's not even getting in the team at the moment, but no one seems to be too bothered. And how do you see that, Stato, and your view of, the, of that back, the centre-back pairing, if you like, and it, at the moment it seems to be Stones and Diaz, who have they've got a great partnership going, it's certainly very effective, and uh, as we've said many times, we keep in all those clean sheets, so how, how do you see it? Well, at the moment, it's absolutely superb. Uh, best clean sheet record in the division, not conceding too many opportunities for the opposition. Yes, of course, there'll be teams that will get chances against us. But I think uh, with the two defensive midfield players and with uh, Stoners playing out of his skin, playing the best football I've seen him since he joined City, even going back to when he first played for us and he was good, uh, I think it's working very well. Uh, it's great to have Laporte there in the background. We know he's a good player. So if any injuries do happen to either of those two, then great we've got Laporte coming in. And Ake also had a great game against Newcastle, albeit at left-back uh, at the weekend. So there's another good option. I think whereas this time last year we were complaining about the quality of our particular reserve central defenders when we had Otamendi who was past his peak and Stones who was completely out of form and Laporte was injured for a great deal of it. This year we've got four who can fulfil that function and hopefully get us up towards the top of the table. And one person we've not mentioned is Aguero who uh, is obviously being gently sort of reintroduced with the odd sort of substitute performance. He, he looked reasonably lively. Um, thought, mm. Thoughts on him, Spencer? We, yeah. Oh, we're, not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not sure when we're going to see him, of course, no, based on what we said at the start of the show. But just seeing him back on the pitch and running around like a, a four-year-old oh, yeah. was, was, was good to see. It was just, it was brilliant to see him, wasn't it? And I mean, he was only on for whatever it was, 15, 20 minutes, but there were a couple of occasions there, wasn't there? It was, you know, the Cavalier, Aguero of old. Um, I thought he was going to score that first one. You know, it was, it had goal written all over it, didn't it? But uh, good save by the keeper, I suppose. Um, and then, and then they're running on the keeper that second chance. So, but it was great to see him. He looked good. Uh, his, um, you know, his body language was was, was was positive. But I must say, you know, in the background, you're you're always really concerned. You know, can he really, you know, get a a run of games, ten, twelve games where he's playing most of them, and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing Aguero at his best. I I have my doubts. I'll be honest. Um, but it's obviously a very careful sort of reintroduction that's happening at the moment. But yeah, the more the more we have a Sergio, the better. Um, before we leave Sergio and, and the strike force, interesting news today that Diego Costa has ended his contract with Atletico Madrid early and he's a free agent. Um, Edward, I don't know if you've got any thoughts about either Aguero or Diego Costa. Is he somebody you want a, a brief comment about Sergio and then maybe your thoughts on whether it's worth taking a punt with Costa for a few months just to sort of get us that additional striker is it worth the risk is he a bit old is he a pet type of player where, where, where do you see that situation well first on Sergio I mean I think uh, obviously great to see him back but we've got to be realistic that it's highly unlikely he's going to fulfill a, a season which is now going to be a game pretty much every three or four days the way it's going so we do need a much stronger backup plan up front. Torres has helped do that to a certain extent. But I think we are in the market for not just in the medium term, but potentially the short term now as to uh, how we get that 
that goal fest that we're so used to back, getting a, a stronger, more perhaps aggressive attacking force there if Aguero's not available. Um, now, whenever you played against Diego Costa, he was a real pain. You know, he, he was a frustrating player to, to watch because he was antagonistic uh, to the opposition, but he also could be rash on occasions as well as brilliant. So you'd be taking on someone who's got you know a, a little bit of the sort of Suarez or Balotelli about him, which um, is always one to ponder, and it may disrupt some of the uh, the balance within the squad. And sometimes those older strikers work if you get them on a short one like Cavani. Other times they don't. So it would be would be a risk. Um, probably one I think we need to look at other options before we land that one. He scored 59 goals in 120 games, I think, for Chelsea, if, if, if that's right, Denby. Uh, I don't know whether you've done your done your stato work before coming on here. Is that is that about right? Is he the sort of player that might be useful for City or should we leave well alone? I read the statistics, so I know he scored roughly one in every two games. Um, can he still do it in the Premier League is a crucial question. Uh, he was a good player for Chelsea, clearly. So is his way around a different style of player to the ones we're used to as centre-forward. Is he an option because we want to look at something different when we want to put high balls in the box and therefore we can use his strength uh, and also cover for Aguero? If he's still got it and got the mentality, I'm not sure he's a pep-type player, but I wouldn't say no if he's still got the quality that we would want to help us uh, this season. Spencer, where do you stand on, on Diego yeah. Costa? I'm I'm a bit a bit negative about this. I mean, I, love, I must say I enjoyed watching him at, uh, at Chelsea. You know, he was clearly you know, a great goal scorer, but he was a troublemaker, wasn't he? Uh, and I, I really don't think that um, he would have the mentality to sort of fit in with uh, with with the city sort of uh, team aspect. Um, high high risk, you know. Yes, it could work and could bag a few goals, but you know um, there could be some negatives to it as well. I mean, I, I was just wondering, um, also got in the team, I think, it's in October, November from Atletico, has he? Because Suarez and, and Jao Felix are up there. So I don't f- track him, but I would imagine that his form is not justifying it, you know, notwithstanding this, he's got two good players ahead of him there at Atletico. Um, you, of course, in the press this week has been uh, the uh, little subject of Lionel Messi again, which, which might uh, raise its, its head uh, as we go into the new year. Uh, I'd be... I'd be excited for him to come, although it wouldn't be uh, until the summer. Um, but um, as we say, we've got we've got a uh, we've got a short-term um, goal fix. Uh, but I believe that we can fix it internally. Uh, you know, we are creating the chances. We're not converting those chances. And I don't think it takes too much um, for us to start um, scoring three and four a game if we um, continue in the manner that we've shown in the last two, three games. So on balance, I would be passing on Costa personally. Uh, just speaking on the Messi thing, I thought now Trump's on his way out and Biden's on his way in. He wanted to go to America, isn't that right? He was he wants to go to play in Biden's America. I think is what you said. Oh, he can do that with New York City in a couple of years, can't he? No worries. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, listen. Normally at this point in the show, we would kind of look forward to City's next few fixtures, and uh, that's a bit difficult to do. So, so I want you to kind of put your crystal balls in front of you and just try and work out what might happen. We know, obviously, the the whole of the complex has sort of closed down um, and there's a big deep clean going on and, and, and they can't go back for a couple of weeks. Players self-isolating, trying to keep themselves fit. 
it's just difficult to look forward and, and see. The frustrating thing, of course, was if we'd played Everton and won, I know there's games going all, on, on all the time, but win that game in hand, and we would have been three points behind the leaders. And only a few weeks ago, people were talking about City as being a mid-table side. So it's, it's amazing how quickly things can change. And of course, we know also it was a great weekend with teams dropping points around us and above us. So so it was all looking really good. So So with your crystal ball in front of you, let's try and just predict what might happen over the next few weeks. What might it look like, uh, Edward? You, you give us give us your views, please. Well, first of all, I mean, I I was quite confident about the Everton game. Uh, Trying to be confident about everyone, but uh, this this fixture was, as you say, lined up to potentially be a way of us challenging for the top again. Uh, Everton had a few key players missing. Dean at left back in particular, we could have exploited that, and so uh, you know that's that's made. Um, where we head next, more more difficult to to predict, and it all depends on when the fixtures actually happen. Um, I think that the most likely outcome is we're going to see an extension of of the season again, and if we stay in the cup competitions, that could uh, wear our, our squad thin. So I think we're we're still in a a strong position, but a lot of what unravels over the next few weeks is going to determine how realistic it is that we can uh, on the four fronts that we're still fighting for trophies, uh, keep keep pace with the games that are thrown at us. Uh, be interested if we do any business in January. I, I tend to agree with that internally uh, we can uh, improve our, our goal ratio and our, our um, overall performance up front. You have to remember when we came back for the end of the last season after lockdown, we were scoring four or five goals a game pretty freely with uh, pretty much the same squad. So, um, I'm optimistic, but uh, as we spoke at the beginning of this uh, of this podcast, a lot rides on what happens with with COVID over the next three to four weeks, uh, and whether that has an impact on elite sport and the Premier League in particular. Paul Denby, amateur astronomer, with your crystal ball or looking at the stars, whichever works for you, um, you must be able to look into the future and help us out here. That's the only reason you're on the show this week, Paul. Oh, thank you for that introduction. Although I'm not an astrologer, I'm an amateur astronomer, as you quite rightly said, and I don't pay too much attention to astrology. But looking at your crystal ball, um, I would say they've got um, a fixture pile upcoming. Unless they do extend the season, there are very few gaps in the fixture list between now and the end of the season for City to get games in without, at some point, maybe playing four games in a week. I'm assuming at this point the Chelsea game will be called off because I can't see how we can get that one in. Uh, the cup semi-final almost certainly has to go back a week or so as well. But there's very, very few gaps because in, they've piled the fixtures in to make up for the shortened time frame because obviously the season started so late. Will the Champions League, if other countries have the same impact, will the Champions League take the similar format to it as it did last season and play... Uh, single-leg quarters, semis in the final? I don't know. That's a possibility. I guess that's what we have to wait and see. And with my crystal ball out that you'd like me to look at, I'd say that option is becoming increasingly likely um, as more and more teams potentially go down with uh, COVID. So I'd say the season will be extended and there will be um, single-leg quarters, semis and final in the Champions League. The final word is with you, Spencer Debson. How do you see it all? Oh, out? blimey. Well, well, we've got to finish on a bit of optimism, haven't we? And let's say that, you know, COVID doesn't turn out to be as shocking as we all think it might. And we go into January and we've got four Premier League games there, home to Brighton, home to Palace, away to West Brom, home to Sheffield United. And by the end of January, 
we are we are riding high we're in the top two or three and we're a couple of points off the top that's my vision for the end of january nigel and that's all i've got to say <laughs> amazing that's all we've got to say um a huge thanks to my three guests to paul denby to spencer debson and to edward timson this is nigel rockband saying thanks for listening and a very happy new year we'll talk to you all again in 2021 this is a playback media production to listen to all our football podcasts visit playback media sports social podcast network